Funding for Here and Now Anytime comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. Hi, this is Here and Now Anytime, where we give you a little news, a little something you weren't expecting, and always a fresh, in-depth perspective on current events, arts and culture, and stories that matter. Subscribe or follow to get all our episodes out every weekday. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend about us to help spread the word. Now here's the show. Everything we do as reproductive endocrinologists in our day-to-day practice, we're, we're helping couples who cannot have a child be able to have a child. I don't know if it gets any more pro-life than that. Alabama fertility doctors and IVF patients are in limbo. It's Thursday, February 22nd, and this is Here and Now, Anytime from NPR and WBUR Boston. I'm Chris Bentley. Today on the show, the new reality of trying to start a family in Alabama after judges declared embryos people. Also, how are today's high school seniors thinking about money? There's new shoes coming out, right? I I want that, but can I? am I necessarily in the right financial place to buy those shoes? Probably not, right? The class of 2024 and financial literacy coming up in about 10 minutes. But first, it's been almost two years now since Russian forces invaded Ukraine. And with recent wins on the front line, Putin's troops are gaining ground. Ukraine recently ceded a city that they had controlled outside Donetsk. And there are widespread reports of Ukrainian troops rationing their weapons. With that bill to provide $60 billion in weapons and other military aid still stalled in Congress, we called up Ukraine's ambassador to the U.S., Oksana Markarova. She spoke to Scott Tong. So Russia took the city of Divka this past week, and one Ukrainian infantry unit is quoted as calling the fighting hell. Our own NPR correspondent in Ukraine said many Ukrainians told her that this was demoralizing. How difficult a loss was this as far as morale? Well, we held and fought for the city of Avdiivka for the past 10 years. You have to understand that. The Mm. Russians were trying to take it ever since they attacked us in 2014. And their control over the ruins of Avdiivka, because they they actually did not take the Avdiivka, they simply destroyed it, of course is very difficult. Of course is something that our defenders were trying to prevent. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because, you know... uh, Lack of munition and very difficult fight uh, and a very wise decision was taken by the commanders to Mm -hmm. actually save our defenders. So uh, it's very difficult, but it's definitely not demoralizing. I mean, after mm -hmm. two years of hard war, we we are tired, but not uh, not broken. As far as munitions and internal U.S. analysis reportedly says the weapon shortage in Ukraine could be catastrophic by late March, and, and our, on our show, analyst Aramasico said uh, that Ukraine's military is rationing ammunition, not able to keep Russia back. You've lived in the U.S. for many years. You studied at Indiana University. How do you communicate to the American people, to American lawmakers, that, as you see it, it is in their interest to support Ukraine in this war? Just, just uh, sharing the truth about it. Uh, A, telling how difficult the fight is, reminding that this is a war of choice of uh, 
Russian, Russian aggressive autocratic regime. Ukraine is a peaceful nation, was never threat to anyone, just wanted to live. We all just wanted to live in our own country, doing what we want to do, be a vibrant European democracy. And they just attacked us because of this. And mm. if they are allowed to take us, then nobody is safe. Then international rules do not work. Then if they go further and attack NATO countries, it's Americans who will have to fight on the battlefields of Europe again. Mm. Now, we are not asking for boots on the ground. We only are asking from our friends and allies here weapons and support, and we can still do the job. We can still stop Russia and send a message to other aggressors, you know, mm. because Russia is working with Iran and North Korea, and there are others who are uh, sitting and watching, you know, how it will end. So it is in all of us' interest. It is mm. in U.S. interests. It any democracy... As, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Sorry to jump in. I mean, as you know, this is what you're contending with uh, in in American politics and in the Congress. Republican senators who voted for the military aid package for Ukraine are being punished by allies of Donald Trump. One senator may now face a primary challenger. There's rhetoric coming from House members like Marjorie Taylor Greene that Ukraine is not the 51st state. Um, how hard is it to go into these office offices to make the case because you know what they're saying publicly? It's it's not difficult, you know. We still have very strong bipartisan support. And you look at the recent polls, more, more than uh, 50-60% of Americans support us. 70% of Americans know that Russia is either an enemy or a hostile state. So mm. the support is there. So I will I will go and talk and discuss with everyone who will see me. Mm-hmm. And just, I think, sharing the information of why it is important, how important it is, not only for Ukraine, yeah. for the U.S., for every um, democracy. We'll just keep doing it. Quick question on sanctions. You're a financial professional. Um, The oil (coughs) sanctions against Russian companies to many have not worked. They're selling oil for the market price. And now there's talk of potential new sanctions from the world after the killing of dissident uh, Alexei Navalny. What kind of sanctions do you think would have real teeth? Well, we're very grateful for the 60 packages that were introduced, and they had a very good effect. But as you rightfully uh, mentioned, you know, they did not work completely. So we have to double down on sanctions as well. Sanction mm. all Russian banks. It's it's very important now. Uh, tighten the sanctions on oil and gas. Lower the, the prices and go after those who actually continue to buy Uh, Mm -hmm. all the energy Mm -hmm. resources from Russia. And go after those who also help Russia to evade sanctions. Yeah, and we have 30 seconds. I just want to ask you as a Ukrainian, if you can translate one piece of history or culture for us as you describe in your view, what is at stake in this war? Well, Ukraine is a young state, but a you know ancient nation. Kiev and so many other cities, including Mariupol, destroyed by by Russians, are cradles of Christianity, of education, of democracy itself, with a very rich culture, distinct Ukrainian culture. It's existential for us to preserve it, but its culture also belongs to everyone on this planet, mm. and we really hope that our friends will help us to preserve it and and keep it for all of us. We've been talking to Oksana Markarova, Ukraine's ambassador to the U.S. Ambassador, thank you. Thank you, and thank you to all Americans for the support. By the way, we've got lots more reporting on the war in Ukraine at our website, hereandnow.org. Today, we take a few minutes with Dara Massico of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. 
talk about Ukraine's strategy and where the war goes from here. This will not settle into a stalemate at present. Okay, the Russians are trying to break these lines. You can find that whole conversation and a lot more at hereandnow.org. We're going to take a short break now, but when we return, we'll speak with a reproductive endocrinologist in Alabama who calls himself pro-life. But even he thinks the state Supreme Court was absurd to call frozen embryos extra-uterine children. How the ruling has already impacted care after the break. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. fertilization treatments are on hold at some clinics in Alabama after the state Supreme Court ruled frozen embryos could be considered children for the purposes of wrongful death lawsuits. That's throwing family planning into chaos for lots of Alabamans who are among the millions of Americans who have trouble getting pregnant every year. Yesterday, we had Harvard bioethicist Glenn Cohen weigh in on the case. There is this attempt to normalize the idea of the personhood of embryos and the idea that essentially they are, as one of the justices put it, extra-uterine children. That is really Mm. out of step with, I think, about how most Americans think about embryos, but it's part of a longer-term attempt by the conservative legal movement to bring this idea of embryonic and fetal personhood into the mainstream. But we wanted a closer look from Alabama, so we called up Dr. Brett Davenport. He's medical director at the Fertility Institute of North Alabama, and he told Scott he was stunned by the ruling. The the law was never in, intended to go in this direction, and I understand that our judge was only upholding the wording of the law, um, mm. but at this point it's up to the legislatures to make this right. Yeah, and, and you were quoted in one article as saying, uh, describing yourself as a very pro-life endocrinologist and yet saying the ruling seems absurd. Uh, Absurd how? Well, you know, everything we do as reproductive endocrinologists in our day-to-day practice, we're we're helping couples who cannot have a child be able to have a child. I don't know if it gets any more pro-life than that. So we're approaching this whole thing, you know, with with life in mind, and we celebrate life with these patients. Uh, And so to to attach this to to, to a, a bill that was intended to protect um, a fetus's life in utero mm. is just a different. It's a different case altogether than an argument altogether 
than what we do on a day-to-day basis um, with, with our embryos. So given this ruling, could part of your everyday job put you at criminal risk, say, you know, freezing an embryo as part of the basic procedure or destroying an extra unwanted one if a couple is already pregnant? Well, the, the first scenario, just freezing it it, it, it does not prohibit us from doing that at this point under mm. law. But but the, the destruction of an embryo um, is definitely touched upon with this. And, and we're all uh, in, in a holding pattern in terms of what this means for us and and um, how we're going to go forward. Yeah. And, and just in that regard, if you can kind of remind us, like, why you need to freeze embryos and Certainly. and how you might proceed going forward, given this, I guess, uncertainty for now. There's several reasons why why one would freeze embryos. When we do in vitro fertilization now under our current protocols, um, we we stimulate and retrieve as many eggs as possible, and we fertilize all of those eggs, and we try to get as many embryos as possible. So we only want to put you know one of those embryos back at a time and have one child at a time. So this, several of these infertile couples have future children waiting for them, you know, for family planning for them. Mm. And now when they let's just say a couple has five embryos and they only want three children in the first three take, which is actually not super likely, but but it is uh, likely mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. It, it is likely that people will have you know possibly some excess embryos left over after they're mm-hmm. done with their family. Yeah. At that point, we have to make a decision, Well, or they have to make a decision of what do we do with these embryos. And one one of their options is to thaw those embryos. But this, this ties um, their hands and our hands both to do that in the state of Alabama. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some analysts suggest this ruling means embry- embryos might have to be stored indefinitely. Is that a possibility? Well, in the state of Alabama, it's certainly a possibility. But um, mm. the, you know, one one solution could possibly be to transport these to storage facilities that are out of state. Um, that is obviously mm. if this ruling stood. Mm-hmm. I, I do mm-hmm. have high hope that that the legislature is going to come through and do the right thing here. Yeah. So we have read about fertility doctors uh, having receiving a lot of calls from patients with concerns? What do we do now? Have you heard from your patients about this kind of wondering what happens? Perhaps there's a chilling effect here. Yeah, we have. There, there is a chilling effect. We've, we've heard from, uh, you know, our phones have been ringing off the hook with this. Um, most of the patients we're hearing from are patients who are planning to undergo IVF, wondering, are we, are we still going to be able to do it? How is it going to affect things? The answer is yes. We we will still be able to do it, and um, we are going to reconsent the patients before they go through. Um, it, oh, resign the form, or well, you resign forms, but I mean it's called an informed consent. We're basically going to reinform the patient okay. of everything mm. of everything that's happened, and so that if that changes their decision process of either if to go through or how to go through. Uh, they have the, oppor- yeah. the opportunity to do that. Okay, great, Doctor Brett Davenport. Thank you so much for the time. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Coming up, a lot of people are careless with money when they're young, or maybe when they're not so young. Well, not our next guests. After the break, financial literacy for young consumers that you can take with you your whole life. Stick around. 
This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine & More. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. This message comes from NPR sponsor Total Wine & More. With so many great bottles to choose from at the lowest price, it's easy to find your favorite Cabernet or a new single-barrel bourbon to try with some help from one of their friendly guides. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, find what you love and love what you find only at Total Wine & More. Curbside pickup and delivery available in most areas. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. This message comes from NPR sponsor Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org slash elections. This whole school year, we've been checking in with a group of high school seniors that we call our Class of 2024 about how they're navigating life at that all-important age. Today, we've got a conversation about financial literacy. Turns out there's some personal finance advice in there for everyone, even if your high school days feel like a long-gone era. Aaron Tun is a senior at Mariner High School in Everett, Washington, and Jimmy Marino is a senior at Chelsea High School in Chelsea, Massachusetts. Here's their conversation with Scott. So, Jimmy, let me start with you. You're part of the group Massachusetts Association of Student Reps, and you help write legislation that would require high schools to teach financial literacy. So I want to talk to you about your financial literacy. Uh, Do you have any idea how much you spend a month? I can't necessarily give you a rough number because I I really don't know. Aaron, how about you? Do you have an idea, a ballpark? I think I pay for things like gas, food when I'm out, and other like little gifts and presents for me and other people. But I can't really give you a good estimate on that either. Yeah, no, that's all right. Uh, Aaron, let me uh, uh, put this next question to you. You're in the state of Washington, where there's also a bill making its way through the legislature. It would, uh, if, if it becomes law, you won't be affected, but it would impact your sister. Uh, and again, this would be on financial literacy. And one thing I kind of read on the topic is it's a good idea to try to separate what I need versus what I want. Both of you guys are going off to college. So Aaron, have you thought about what's on your need list versus want? For me, what I define need and want as is I define need as something that it's a item or a, a thing that would really play a crucial part in the operating system of my life. And I feel like that would be things like food as opposed to wants as being my interests. Yeah, yeah. I mean, part of the the whole needs versus wants and you know, I, I still kind of go through that. It's a matter of sometimes it's money self-control. And let me put this to both of you, maybe Aaron first. Do you have a system where you're putting money aside to save for whatever? 
I personally really like to save money and spending it. It doesn't like sit well with me when I spend money that I know that I could be saving. So I always like to put money into my savings account almost immediately. And I really like to have a system of save as much as possible and just spend when necessary. Yeah. Aaron, what is your job? I work as a referee, um, a soccer referee. Uh, okay. Okay. Two of my boys have done that. I know the money's pretty good. And Jimmy, how about you? Do you have a job or are you plan to have one in school? Yeah. So I have a job. I'm currently a cashier. So what I do around saving money is for me, I'm going to college next year. So I think an, an important part of my life is saving for college. So kind of like the system I go by is like saving 60% of what I make and putting it into a savings account for college. And the rest of the money, about like 20% is like for personal spending. And the other 20% is just personal savings. I think it's imperative to have this financial education because not everyone is in the position to budget and stuff like that. For example, a lot of my peers are helping their parents pay bills. They don't necessarily have the skills to budget money aside for things that would benefit them in the future because they're strained with like providing for their family, having food on the table and all these other things. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let me pause uh, for our big reveal for our listeners. Joining us now is perhaps my favorite personal finance writer, Michelle Singletary of the Washington Post. Michelle, you there? Yes, I'm here. Hey, uh, any feedback on what you just heard from Aaron and or Jimmy? I just want to adopt them. (laughs) 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 I mean, they are very uh, financially astute young men. I love um, what they were saying about saving first and the importance of looking in the future and particularly um, Jimmy's um, strategy of saving his money now for college. That's what we did. My husband and I did for our children when they worked during the summer and during the year. As much as what Jimmy said, 60 to 70 percent, sometimes as much as 80 went towards when they would about to go to college and they then use that money during the year to supplement whatever we uh, help pay for them. Yeah. And, and Michelle, what is the most important advice you have for these guys as they head to college in a few months? Well, I think they are on a great track already. They have developed the habit of saving first. And, you know, it's so interesting because there's so much information out there for young adults, like you should be investing, you should be getting a house, you should be a million by 30. But really the basic line for them now is to develop that habit to save as much as they possibly can afford from their income. Develop that muscle first. And then you move on to investing in some other things. But if you don't exercise that muscle, you don't build it up, that could be a problem later in life. Yeah. And is there a a good way logistically to save somehow, I don't know, stick the money somewhere where I don't even see it in the first place? Yeah. So the best strategy is to do it automatically, which it sounds like the young gentlemen are doing. And so whenever you get a paycheck, you can either have your employer separate that check into different accounts, or you can do it yourself. Many banks will allow you to do automatic savings into another part, you know, another checking or savings account. And so you get your paycheck and you send, you know, whatever percentage you need for your living expenses to your household or, you know, your monthly checking account that you use to pay things and then a savings account and ship that money off to that account. Don't get an ATM card with it or if you get one, leave it at home. And so that money begins to be the untouchable money. That's the untouchable, you know, they're too young to know about that that show untouchables, but, but it would be the untouchable money. (laughs) 
Uh, she also gives movie recommendations, you guys, because The Untouchables is something you <laughs> you, you need to watch. Uh, let me turn the tables. Yeah, I understand each of you has a question for Michelle. So, Jimmy, can you go first? Pose your question to Michelle, please. So a big thing for a lot of like Gen Z and teenagers now is getting into college. So um, with the rising cost of college, what is your number one tip that you would give to current teenagers who are looking not to get into tons of student loan debt, but also get a higher quality education? Yeah, so there's a lot of pressure for you all right now to get into a certain kind of college. So what I would say is close your ears to all of that and pick a college that has the coursework that aligns with what you want to do in life. And then only go to the colleges that you can afford with the least amount or no debt. I would say the best thing you could do for your life and to help your parents or your guardians is to borrow the least amount so that you can start your, your adult life when you finish college with little to no debt. I can't tell you how many adults that I now counsel in their 40s and 50s and 60s still carrying student loan debt. All the time, people are like, I have finally, decades later, paid off my college debt. It's that much money. Uh, Aaron, you have a question for Michelle. Yeah, um, as a young person who strives to be as financially literate as I possibly can, I'm curious of what are very common mistakes or practices that you witness amongst young people that you would consider financially illiterate? I think following the things that they hear on social media and and feeling like this pressure that if they aren't millionaires by their 30, that they're somehow failed. What you two are doing right now will make you a millionaire faster than any of that other stuff. You are saving, you are living below your means, even in your teen years, because teens got a means, right? I like that. Teens got a means. <laughs> so you've got, you know, you've got expenses. And so you are living, the two of you are an example of living below that. Stay with that. And if you can, tune out all that pressure that you've got to do something to become richer. And um, the other thing I would say is, I don't know if you guys have credit cards, but just don't lean on credit cards. Be very careful about the use of credit, even when you pay it off every month. Because studies show that when you use plastic, you tend to spend more than when you use cash. You do those two things, minimize debt and save, and you are well on your way. All right. Here are the words of Michelle Singletary, personal finance columnist for The Washington Post. And she has joined Jimmy Marino and Aaron Tun, both seniors in our class of 2024 class. Thank you to all three of you for sharing your thoughts. Much appreciated. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And you can learn more about Jimmy, Aaron, and the rest of our class of 2024 at our website, hereandnow.org. That's our show. It comes from the team behind Here and Now from NPR and WBUR Boston. Today's stories were produced by Sam Rapelson, Shirley Jihad, and Hafsa Qureshi. Today's editors were Todd Munt, Mikaela Rodriguez, and Kat Welch. Technical direction from Mike Moschetto and Caleb Green. Mike also wrote our theme music, along with Max Liebman and me, Chris Bentley. Our digital producers are Allison Hagen and Grace Griffin. And the executive producer of Here and Now is Carlene Watson. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you tomorrow.
Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. You can't fully understand the moment we're living in without knowing where we've been. On every episode of NPR's Throughline, we go back in time to where it started. Like, really started. To answer one important question, how did we get here? Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.